Hi, everyone. I'm Allison Ramsey with the Empire Life podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs from all around the world about their online empires. And we also help entrepreneurs to launch their online empires. And today, I, we have a super special treat for you. I'm with founder of VentureX. Her name is Sydney Wong. And she, with VentureX, they create innovative solutions to close the gap between startups and the investment world. And I'll hand it over to her to intro herself a little bit more. Hi, guys. Thanks, Allison, for having me. It's such a great pleasure to be here. So, um, so my story is that I am from Canada, and um, I moved to Silicon Valley basically with no job, no visa, no apartment. Basically, I had an invitation from a friend who said if I was very serious about learning about tech and startup, that I got to move there. So within like two weeks, I bought a one-way ticket and moved there. And then um, I was going to every meetup. I was uh, meeting different entrepreneurs and startups in different industries, and it was super interesting. I talked to every Uber driver, every um, house cleaner on, on TaskRabbit, every dog walker on WAG, and what I found is that they all had an end goal in mind. They were not afraid of sharing their startup idea and explaining what kind of traction they were having and um, what they were doing in life and kind of exploring with you all of these different um, um, kinds of things and they are also not afraid of getting feedback and and things like that so I thought it was really interesting I learned a lot about the the startup industry when I was in Silicon Valley and then unfortunately when my my um, visa didn't work out I had to come back to Canada but I also brought back with me um, the startup that I wanted to build I wanted to build um, a world that was more inviting to startups for for everyone and I felt that their kind of assertive nature and community there was exactly what um, places like conservative Canada needed and so then I just was on a shoestring budget and I traveled across our country for those of you who haven't been to Canada it's very big with very <laughs> few cities there's like three cities and so I, so traveling across it is very expensive um, so I so I did that and I was researching investors and startups and seeing what each other's pain points were and why there was such a big gap in the market so startups always felt like their biggest pain is that they had trouble getting to the next step of, of the business and they always had trouble with funding and then the investors felt that they were being over solicited by a lot of startups that were unprepared because there are more and more startups now than there ever was. And yet the amount of successful uh, funding and, and startups and things like that are not actually increasing. So that's kind of what our mission is, is to help the 90% that fail in their first year, um, see why they fail and provide a solution to help them get, best get prepared and connected to investors. Yeah, I love that, Sydney. Wow, my mind, I'm sure a lot of our listeners' brains are going a million miles an hour with all the questions that we have from, from your intro. Like, for example, why do or why are 90% of the startups failing? Like, what are the, let's say, like the top five reasons why they're failing right now? Well, a lot of people seem to think, because this is also part of my market research, 
why other people fail. This is a big thing. Other people. Right, right. Um, they, they think that people fail because they don't have enough money. However, uh, there's a famous Tony Robbins quote that I just absolutely adore. It's not about your lack of resources. It's about your lack of resourcefulness. So you got to utilize all of the tools um, that you have within you, all the skill sets, um, everything that you know, and, and um, how to repurpose things. That's being resourceful. Um, but the real number one reason why startups fail is the lack of product market fit. It's actually one of the um, metrics that we have on our platform is to track product market fit. So what that means is how um, your target market resonates with the problem that you're solving and the solution that you're providing. Most people end up building something that nobody wants or they are targeting to the wrong market. Therefore, they're not at their optimal price. Exactly. Their optimal strategy. That's, that's <clears throat> the number one reason. Yeah, that's the number one thing that we do with our soulmate clients is to create a survey to send out to their ideal clients to get and ask those. Sometimes it, for a lot of people, it feels really vulnerable to say, well, how much do you want to pay for this and give different price points? Or what is a program that you took that's similar to mine that you felt like something was missing? What was missing from it? What do you want me to add to it? Mm -hmm. uh, just putting yourself out there in a really vulnerable way to listen to the feedback because it exact, that's exactly true. I completely agree with that. That's the number one, that's the number one first step that somebody needs to do before they record the videos, launch the podcast, launch the program. Yeah, absolutely. Make the and, mobile app, right? Mm -hmm. And like a lot of people like to skip this step when they've never done it before because they find it to be long or tedious or expensive or not what they thought they were going to do. But your journey through entrepreneurship is never what you think it's going to be. You know, this is a super, super crucial step and you've got to be um, okay with hearing the word no. Yes. No, I like it. Yeah. No, I don't want to pay for it. No, it's not worth it to me. And that's okay. Yeah, and then asking the question, well, what, how can I improve it to make it worth it to you? Absolutely, exactly. Um, and then if you hear a whole bunch of no's, um, so for example, on our platform, we say if you couldn't get over like 40%, uh, which is what the Silicon Valley um, rate is. So if you can get over like 40%, for example, change your target market. That's when you've heard enough no's. You haven't yes. heard enough until you know that you've heard enough. Yes, you can't just hear exactly. five and be like, I've heard enough. That just means that you didn't actually go very far. Yes, and also hopping on the phone with a lot of your ideal clients and setting mm -hmm. up those relationships and asking them those specific questions. Yeah, how much will you pay for this? What do you feel like this is a good idea? Even yeah, <laughs> is this worth your time and your money? How long do you want this program to be? How long can I sustain your attention? Everything to the last detail before before it's launched, and then give those people some kind of referral bonus or or a gift mm -hmm. for giving them your time because that's, it will be invaluable. Like you're saying in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we encourage people to do when they're doing this market um, survey, when they're really out there on the streets is um, to of course, collect their contact information if um, the person would allow it and then contact them later when your beta is ready or your full product is ready. Right. Then you know that this person liked it. This is how much they liked it. These are the problems that they needed to solve. Uh, but just to stay connected, it's really important that you are um, seeing the full picture and seeing things in the long run. Yes, and that leads me into the next question. How do we demystify the
this whole realm of, of investing. And like, like you were saying when we were off air is that the investors want to feel like people. Mm -hmm. So just as our clients don't want to feel like, Oh, I'm helping Allison to reach her bottom line. They want to feel like I'm a person who is, I have a complete unique purpose and mission in this in life. And I want her to fully tap into that and then launch my online Mm -hmm. empire. And that's how we look at it. They're like our family. Whereas I feel like investors, they're also, they, they're also becoming somewhat part of your, your inner family. If they're working with you and another co-founder or a group of co-founders, like what are some, what's some advice of how the, if you're seeking out money instead of like, I don't want to give part of my company away, or I'm afraid that they're going to get too close and the inside workings of, of my company, how can we demystify that process? Right. So a lot of um, a lot of people don't know that um, a typical investment firm would get something like over 200 applications for investment per person in one firm. And that is insanely difficult, especially when you already have an actual nine to five job and looking at um, that many applications isn't really part of it. So it doesn't matter which level of investment um, firm that 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 your particular role is at. But in terms of um, investors, you have to imagine that that means they get pitched all the time, right? But if you really got to sit down with them and you got to ask what kind of startup they had and uh, what was their journey like, and um, you would get, get to learn different things that might be super helpful to you. So for example, did that investor um, do a startup and then raised rounds? If so, that means great. They did know what it was like to be in your shoes. Did they do an IPO or did they have a merger and acquisition? Is that the route that you want to go through? Utilize their knowledge and resources um, and experience because that's what they want to to do. I mean, the trends are still going towards smart money rather than um, just dumb money. And um, so you want to understand that the way that they are strategic investors and their advice and their opinions, they come from a source of experience that you may not have before. And that is incredibly valuable in your holster. It can only make you stronger. And that's kind of when you have to decide, okay, well, which path am I looking for? And therefore, if I go with this investor, um, will he or she lead me down um, the path correctly? Because as soon as they are signing that partnership with you, they really are your partner, you know? Exactly. You're not really just you're not really just thinking of the short term, which is just okay. Well, I need this much money because I just want this much money, and it's going to go towards this, this, and this. It's really okay. This is the money that is being invested in order for us to grow together. And you do have to like working with that person. You know, if you were to spend um, a day with this person, a typical work day, would you be happy at the end of the day? Does do their personalities really uh, mesh well with yours? Um, is this somebody you can learn something from? Is what they've done in the past something that, again, is valuable to you in your future? So all of these things um, you have to have the answers to. And when you do, that's one step closer to treating them like a person rather than like a bank. Exactly. I, I completely agree with that. And do you feel like a lot of the investors are comfortable with having more of a mentor position? 
Um, all the investors on our platform do. Um, in fact, one of them have explained that uh, for those in more in niche industries like financial technology, insurance tech, legal tech, so more niche industries, for example, um, they were explaining to me a couple of experiences that, that they've had that they were on the board of or that they uh, provided a minor investment in because their friend asked them to or some, something. But um, they felt that when they couldn't provide a strategic value or um, an opinion when holding a board seat and voting rights and things like that, that it didn't give them a good feeling. Mm -hmm. right? And so they really want to um, be a positive source in your investment future because an investment is exactly that definition that you put something in in order to see it grow. So therefore you're building the future together. And that's kind of where the involvement and participation kind of comes in. And that's <coughs> one thing that I think that a lot of um, startups don't really see or take advantage of when they're looking for it for the first time. Yes. Oh, yeah, totally. Instead of having the attitude of I'm giving a percentage, I'm the one that's giving the percentage to this investor. Instead right. of looking at it as how much value are they adding because it's fulfilling for them. Like, why do they even get into that in the first place? Most likely mm -hmm. because it fulfills a need and desire of theirs to give what they didn't have. Or that's yeah. the kind of investor that, that I personally have in the past seeked out or I will seek out that they are fully comfortable with being in the mentor role for me and giving me what they feel like they didn't get. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so if they want to see their money grow and they know that they have a contact or a resource or, um, you know, a promotional thing, collaboration somewhere that they can offer, of course they want to, of course they want to offer it to you because it's better for them. So you have to kind of see it as a as a two way as a two way uh, party because that's really what it is. Yes, I completely agree. So moving moving into also like business loans, we we had touched on that, and mm -hmm. it's, it's something that comes up regularly with with me or in conversation and networking meetings. That well, I'm not quite sure what it takes to get out there and get in front of an investor, and now they know that they can talk with with you at VentureX and yeah. be able to get those strategies though. It, a lot of times it seems like too mystified and I, I don't even know where to start or how to pitch them, who to reach out to and I'll go and take a loan from the bank for thousands of, I've talked to some people, it's almost a million that they've taken uh -huh. out within a year. And for me, that feels, that feels really scary. Yeah, you had quoted Gary Vee on that. And what what is your take on that when you hear something like that? So um, that to me is very scary. I personally know people who are in debt for years and years and still couldn't pay it off um, when they were just kind of putting everything on credit card loans or uh, putting things on a second mortgage or things like that. So it is definitely super scary. Um, one of the things that I did uh, hear from from Gary Vee and I think is really interesting is you are either going to have time or you're going to have money. And of course, startups believe that they don't have either. But um, the thing is that if you're really pressed, if you're really pressed, you're either going to find a way to um, finance things that you need, or you're going to, um, you know, spend all of your time trying to work around it, right? So 
you're only going to have either time or money. And I think that that is really important to understand. So if you have um, your startup as a side hustle is what he calls it, which just means that you're doing it part time, you still have your regular job. That is a fantastic way to go because you can spend all of that um, that time and that progress really testing out your market to get to that product market fit and take it one step at a time. Therefore, you're not really um, taking out any loans. You're not needing investment at the time, but you're building up this thing called traction over time. You're building out your customer base. You're building out to see um, what your what the feedback is and what needs to be changed in your product, your solution, before you move on to the next step. It is going to be slower, but when you get home after your nine to five, you can still you can still work up until you know midnight or whatever, and on the weekends, and you can still work on your side hustle, doing lots of things. Either it's calling up leads, following them up, following up with them, um, downsizing things that you don't need anymore, in order to finance other things. And uh, there's lots of ways around um, needing someone else's money or a bank's money right away when it's not the right time. So that's kind of where it all boils down to is um, choosing the right opportunities. And um, one of the one of the biggest mistakes is to not take any opportunity at all, right? So a lot of people, like you said, are saying, I don't know where to start. Well, you don't know where to start because you didn't start. You didn't do anything. Yeah, exactly. That's why you don't know where to start. Or you're believing so-and-so who's telling you <clears throat> um, experiences from that they have heard. Again, no personal yes. experiences. If you have no experiences, you're, you're never going to get to the next step because you didn't do anything. Yeah, or like I was telling you, I hear a lot of entrepreneurs say, well, I need to take the risk. And it's like, well, yeah, well, working a nine to five and then coming home and having no social life is also taking a risk. It is, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's a little more of a healthier risk mm -hmm. to, Definitely. to save up, to save up like an emergency fund or have some, some kind of chunk of change before you launch into your full time and know, like you said, what the market fit is for for you, get your marketing, branding, work with, work with someone also on that, have some extra money to work with someone and then launch into it. Yeah. It, it, you're creating somewhat of a safety net for yourself as opposed to saying, I, I can rely on this and then you got to start paying back the loan at some point. And yeah. it, it becomes, it becomes also really challenging. And I've also fallen into this loop at one point is this is my third company. In my first company, I fell into the loop of, well, I'm predicting, we tend sometimes when we are the co-founders or founders of our company to over predict or overestimate where we're going to be financially in so many months instead of saying, okay, how can I traject the, or see the trajectory and more of a, realistic fashion or slower and may go a little slower than we predicted as with the financial growth. Though we have a lot of momentum and traction, it takes time over, it takes a lot of time for us to become more visible within the marketplace. Yeah, every single investor and every single startup that's currently on the VentureX platform will be able to tell you everything takes more time and money than you expect. Yes. Yeah, how, how can it's you so much more right how, how how do you suggest for them to predict that how, how do you go about I guess the language or or your advice on predicting in a in a slower way and yeah. we entrepreneurs tend to be overachievers and they move fast with everything that they do so that that in itself is is a challenge 
Yeah, well, moving fast is is definitely um, better than, than, than not moving fast, for sure. Um, one of the things that I would suggest is to have uh, like 90-day plans, so about three months in advance, and then have that affect your end-of-year plan. So if you are always updating these, these plans um, about every month or so, you'll see that, okay, well, if a year from now I'm supposed to have 25 or 50 or 100 clients, then within the first 90 days, I'm supposed to have this many clients. And within the next month, you already should know the names of those clients, right? So that's kind of how you would uh, be able to predict it by taking small chunks and seeing if it's affecting the speed that you thought you were going to be at in, in the next year or two or three. And, um, and then oftentimes it's not going to be. You, oftentimes you're going to be spending more time and more money um, to achieve those goals. And that's kind of where um, you have to adjust all of the time. The important thing is that you have to make it as realistic as possible, but the only way to make it more realistic is to uh, make your vision a little bit shorter in terms of your goals. So 30 days, 90 days, then one year. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Cool. And, yeah. and Sydney, before we hop off, if you knew what you know now and you were starting your first company and becoming the founder of, of any kind of company, an entrepreneur, what are some of the like three to five gold nuggets that you will share with our tribe? So uh, the first one I wanted to share is that I was somebody who actually turned away investment um, multiple times. So they were from our VentureX investors, <laughs> um, but some of them were from our VentureX investors. And so the reason for that may be surprising to some. However, you have to understand that the opportunity is really dependent on all the different factors, not just if my company needed the money because of course companies can use the money um there's just different ranges of need and um but the point is that i wanted to make sure it was the right time so did you build out the product or the solution or um the traction or anything enough for you to be in a strong negotiating position the more you do the better equity um kind of negotiation position you will be at. So that means that you would be in a stronger um, position to discuss, okay, well, this is how much of the company that I should be giving away because this is how much work we've done. This is how far along we are at this stage, right? So always be thinking of how can I go into the meeting with my plan A and plan B um, and don't take every investment just because it's in front of you. I didn't and that would be um, my, my first tip. Um, my second one, would be to see things uh, from other people's perspective. So when the investors are giving you money, also see it as this is a person with a family, and especially if it's a private investor, and um, this person has had experience um, with doing, um, bringing companies to IPO, this person has experience with um, fundraising five or six rounds. This person has experience um, in other markets, US, Canada, Asia, Europe. So how can your company be benefiting from this in the long run and kind of seeing how can we work together, you know? So see the opportunity as a whole, not just an amount of money. Because yes. the amount of money will go away. It will go away for sure. <laughs> that's, that's what money is for. It's liquid. And, um, and then the third one would be that 
is a great quote that uh, that I love from Barbara Corcoran. She's a, she's on Shark Tank, and um, it is it doesn't matter how often you fall; it matters how quickly you can get back up. So whatever your biggest fail is, just remember that it's up to you to be um, on your feet as quickly as possible. You can feel sorry for yourself for years. Or you can find a different solution on how to get out of this like failed situation or um, obstacle or anything. But you, but your timing is the only thing that is your variable for your success because startups will never have enough resources to compete with the incumbent in the market. They only have speed. You are at a stage where you are so young, you can change your entire product within a couple of weeks. But you won't be able to um, to do that if you're just kind of sulking or feeling sorry for yourself or reflecting or pondering. You really, really need um, to to try out all the different solutions. So that's kind of where your um, your biggest strength would be, and that's kind of how you change your vulnerability, which is whatever this failure yes. moment is, into your strength. <clears throat> Go on podcast, tell your story, or tell it on social media. Um, but whatever it is that you need to do, um, make sure you do that as quickly as possible. That's kind of why we, you know, wash off in the at the end of the day, hot shower, hot bath, wake up the next morning, and just be ready to go because you don't really have a lot of time. You don't yes. really have as much time as you think you do. Yeah, the resilience you need to. <laughs> Yeah. And then um, I would say another one is that a lot of VentureX uh, prospects, when they come to us, they say, I'm really new. I don't really know what to do. And I don't think I have, um, you know, a lot of traction. And so when we test out their traction, um, they do better than they think. Um, of course, the flip side is also possible. Uh, those who think that they're amazing also test out their traction. They may <laughs> not be. Um, what I mean is you don't know what you don't know. You don't know how uh, great or you don't know uh, all the things that you can offer that you may not be thinking about, you may not be aware of, that investors are looking for, that the market is looking for, that we are looking for until we can really assess all the different parts of your business, right? So you don't know what you don't know means you don't know how you're being compared. You don't know how you're being seen and you don't know how you're being evaluated until you really try it out. So talking to people who are just like huge fans of your business, like your mom doesn't really give you a lot of information. <laughs> um, even talking to your biggest fans in terms of your customers don't give you all the information because you have to see everything as a whole in terms of your traction. It's one of the hardest things to measure, but they're the only things that you can measure as an early stage startup looking for investment because you probably don't have your cost of customer acquisition or yes. your long-term, your customer lifetime value because uh, your customer hasn't left yet. You just started. And, yeah. um, and so I, you find it, I find it also useful to, to ask people that have no clue what, what market you're in and they've never yeah. even heard the words that you're talking about and you show them the design of, of your online presence or yeah. I'm thinking about doing this program. And I, I, that feels to me sometimes we, we do look to our ideal client, though sometimes we need to go to conferences that have absolutely nothing to do with, with our industry <laughs> and, ask, and ask them. And we feel like an alien, or I do, if, since I'm in tech. And if I, if I go to a more spiritual conference, I feel sometimes like a, an alien, like, oh, nobody here is in tech. Though I yeah. started to understand that they need the services that I'm capable to offer and I most likely need their influence in what, what they're offering 
Mm-hmm. And we're speaking somewhat of a different language, and that's all part of adapting into, am I speaking their language, and I'm capable to help them in being the puzzle piece from what, for what they need. Because if we're both offering the exact same thing, or we, we're talking the same language, we're not sometimes capable to be able to collaborate, because we're, we're having the same strengths. Yeah. Yeah. That's, exa- that's exactly right. And uh, I think that that would be a great fifth point is to speak their language. So a lot of people are so in love with their industry, mm-hmm. so in love with their product, they can't actually present it because they have something called the curse of knowledge. Yes. So they just know too much. They know way too much. Um, I, I worked with um, the startup who was in, she, she's in, cosmetics but it's a it's kind of like a health kind of cosmetics uh or skincare is not cosmetics and um she talked so in depth about the science that went into this she didn't explain anything about her business and then when i asked her about conversion engagement like you know business things she just went back into (laughs) into her terms and i'm like okay you won't be able to to uh speak to an investor because they have no idea what you're saying and you just know too much about your product and you're too into your product. You're not in, you're not working on your business anymore. Exactly. And therefore you can't communicate it to someone else who's not in your industry. And that is, that is a, is a huge, um, that is a huge source of, you know, improvement for, for her. And so that's, that's exactly right. So I think those would be uh, five, let's say it's um, the, the first one is, make sure that you see your opportunity as a whole. Don't take every investment. Um, the second one is to, I think, see from other people's point of views. Um, the third one is, try, what was my third one? That, that might've been your third one. The, that might've been my third yeah, one. Okay. Then about, I had a about, different second one. Yeah. So I also feel like to revisit, to revisit that point mm-hmm. in so you were saying to speak people's language and I I had a consultation, I think it was a year ago with the skincare industry as well. And they were telling me all about the the chemicals that were in there, (laughs) like that were in their competitors products and then how they're not in their products. I'm like, let's, let's take a few steps back. Okay. If I'm a woman, their, their target market was women between a certain age. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching this video. They showed me a video also. I don't want to know, I, like, if I'm not a chemist, and yeah, I am, I actually did study chemistry, so I'm somewhat of a chemist, and even I don't want to know all the chemicals that are in your competitor's products and then the natural chemicals that are in yours. I want to know if I start using this product today and I wake up tomorrow morning, what, what's the difference? Yeah. And, exactly. and then one week from now, is it going to be anti-aging? And then focus on that. And, that. and that goes back to the point that you were making about the market fit. What, yeah. do they, what value are you going to be adding with your product or your service? And then is that a value that's a pain point for them? Is that a value that they must have today? Or what's your undeniable offer? And then when you go on the video, then you talk directly to that point. This is anti-aging because of the, the biotanicals that are added to this. And then you're speaking to both the chemist and the person who doesn't give a flip about chemistry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is most women, most likely. Like, yeah. they, they maybe didn't even take chemistry. They hate chemistry. They don't want to know anything about that. They want to know, or in general, people want to know, how is this going to add value to my life? Mm-hmm. And then from there, 
they most likely don't even care about the price point of it because you already told them that in two weeks they're going to see a difference in their their skin and it's more moisturized or anti-aging yeah like the thing is that if you can sp- even when you do speak people's language people forget 90 percent of what you communicated with them within the first like couple hours after you just said it so imagine how much more difficult it is if you don't speak things in terms that they understand they can't retain less they will retain less than 10 percent and that is extraordinarily difficult for for you right because communication is really just um is really just how you are saying something how someone else is understanding it but yeah, so so correct. that's that's missing. number yeah, like that's number 4 that they only retain 10%. So yeah. you feel as if you're repeating yourself over and over. I already you probably are, yeah. You are. Like I already said this that what I what something I the conversation I have with myself on a daily basis is I might be repeating myself. For sure I am repeating myself and it feels like that to myself, but there may be one person that hasn't heard it yet. And that's my ideal client, my one of my soulmate clients, that they need to hear it, and therefore I need to be visible today. I need to put myself out there because there's that one person that's listening. Somehow they weren't reached yet by me. Instead of having the idea that I've already said this and everybody knows about me and, and getting defensive as well, how come you never heard about me before? I'm out there. I'm an influencer. Though. <laughs> Even as, as much as you are an influencer, there's still going to be those the one, or, one to ten people that have not heard about you that you need to go on your Facebook Live or you need to reach out to the investors and yeah. also not assuming that investors have heard about your company. Yeah, yeah, perfect. That's exactly right. And um, you, one of the investors actually uh, said to me, and it's very interesting because um, you and I both have a marketing background as well. So we know that you can never overmarket as a startup. Yes. Just, you will never have enough time and money to do that. Don't worry. You're not going to be flamboyant. It's impossible. Um, so one of the investors uh, said that, you know, it is to your advantage that by the time you come into this room, I would have heard about you like 10 times already. He's talking about a small community because uh, this particular investor likes to invest like within communities and, and things like that. Um, but if you think about it, that is still really hard. Really That's hard. Really hard. So I asked him, what examples would it that be? He said, well, I should hear about you from my colleagues, other investors. I should hear about you because you did a presentation at um, a startup pitch. You were at a conference and you were one of the guest panelists. Um, maybe you got some publicity on uh, social media or podcasts or talk shows or radio shows or anything. Um, and um, maybe I've heard about you through advertisements on newsletters or just like community kind of congratulations congratulation things, lots of different things. And um, to, to kind of actually have that effort in, that's the, that's the way that he would remember people. Yes. And that sounds insane that that's the kind of uh, clutter that we have to fight through these days, you know, to, to get in front of people and, um, and still maintain our calm, cool, and collectiveness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and still manage to have calls throughout the day and connection calls and yeah because yeah, you can't you can't act like you t- told them something uh 10 times because they didn't hear it 10 times yeah exactly exactly <laughs> totally totally and and then getting on those those speaker panels 
and at conferences, sponsoring different conferences, all of those also take a lot of patience to hear mm-hmm. no, to hear no a lot. I was like, yeah, maybe next year. <laughs> yeah. And, and continuing to be like, well, I'm going to keep, I'm not going to take that personally. I'm going to roll with that. Yeah. Go I, make your own conference. That's right. Yes. Or make <laughs> your own conference. Yeah. We, we had, we had a lady that organized the the WEX or WEX conference, Women's Empowerment Movement. Oh, and fantastic. That was her inspiration. She was reaching out to everybody to speak at their meetups and different events, and they were saying, well, I'm not sure you have enough traction that you're a professional speaker. And she launched her first event, was like 10 people, and the next one was around 50, and, and then she's having 5,000-plus 5, 5, women at her conferences now, a few years later. So it's like build, building that traction and, yes, making yourself saying, oh, I am a professional speaker. I am an international speaker. And continuing every day, I see her also every day she does Instagram Lives, and she continues to show herself as the expert in her field by declaring that you are the expert in your field. Though exactly. Still maintaining your humility and, mm-hmm. hum- and humble, humbleness. I'm not sure that's a word. Being humble. and and like these people probably haven't heard of me yet and that's okay that's cool yeah and and it's okay if they don't hear about you you just need to have interesting topics interesting speakers um you know other things one of uh, arnold schwarzenegger's uh best quotes was i am not a self-made success i'm not a self-made man all i do is stand on the shoulders of titans yes Exactly. So success attracts success. That's for sure. Yeah, we've had a couple of live events, or we plan to have more where there's a speaker panel. And I love how every speaker brings in five to ten people within the audience, sometimes driving up to five hours to come see that particular speaker. Yeah. Within that, yeah, it's amazing. Within that momentum, then they meet the other speakers and possibly we can collaborate in some way. Yeah. So perfect. Then we are, we're all helping each other to network and make those connections. <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of how, um, that's kind of how the world is really going towards, right. It's going towards collaboration and connection and, you know, the power of, of one person is only powerful when you can connect um, your network, your community, your world, and uh, your resources to see how you can impact others to drive their dreams and goals and everything else too. Yes, I completely agree. And and Sydney, do you have anything else to add? Um, I think that that's, that's all. I hope you guys um, w- feel free to ask me any questions. There's a contact us form that's directly on our website, which is at www.venturex.ca. So if you have any questions, you can always shoot me a direct email and uh, um, myself and our team will get back to you within a couple days. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you.